Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Come on, did anybody really think this was going to work? I bought golf balls before that promised longer, straighter drives, but I'm still looking for it. You know what I'm saying? How about, you know, some of that... uh, exercise equipment or exercise regimens that that they get just seven minutes a day and you can have this perfectly lean sculpted body right marketing gurus would would call that creative advertising most of us would just call it a lie have you ever seen a product for sale online or television that promised results that were too good to be true in most cases products like that over promise and under deliver Not so with the promise we're going to look at this week in 1 Corinthians 15. In fact, this is a promise that is guaranteed to over-deliver. Probably most times, the reality doesn't measure up to the promise. But I'm here to tell you that this is one time when the reality will, if anything, exceed the promise. And the promise is exceedingly good. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. In our series, Crossroads, Where Your Faith Intersects Your Culture, we've been making our way through the Apostle Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, a city at the crossroads of trade and commerce in the ancient world. Today is our fifth week in 1 Corinthians 15, as we're taking an in-depth look at Paul's discussion of the gospel. What is the impact for my life based on what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about the gospel? How does that matter when I go to school and face a bully or have a test I'm not ready for, or I go to a workplace that I don't really like? Does the fact that this is good news and it's true, how does that impact my life tomorrow morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday and the rest of my life? As Pastor Clay is going to explain in today's message, the gospel makes a promise that almost seems too good to be true. But as we'll see, God always delivers on his promises. Here's Pastor Clay with today's exciting message. We receive good news. Some news may be gooder than other news. Aren't y'all glad you got an educated pastor? Some news is gooder than other news. You get word of, of an engagement or the birth of a child. That's, that's good news. Found out you, you tried out for some team or something and you made the team. That's, that's good. You receive good news in different ways and different times. There's all different kinds of good news. Found out the hot donuts now sign is on at Krispy Kreme. That's, that's good news. Got an amen from John over there. That's a good news. Harris Teeter has chunky monkey ice cream. That's, that's good news. Good news comes in different shapes and different sizes, but, but good news comes. No good news is gooder than this good news. And particularly this good news found in 1 Corinthians 15. This, this gospel. This good news that Paul has to say. We have been five weeks now in 1 Corinthians 15. Breaking down this, this splendid, beautiful, magnificent. What I think is magnificent explanation of the importance of the gospel. The validity of the gospel the certainty of the resurrection, and why that should matter. And that's why I try and say to people all the, all the time. Why you need to lift it off the pages, these pages that were written 2,000 years ago, why you have to remove it from just an historical event that happened 2,000 years ago, although it did happen. 
But, but what does that mean for my life when I go out the door tomorrow morning? What is the impact for my life uh, based on what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about the gospel? How does that matter when I go to school and, and, and face a bully or have a test I'm not ready for or I go to a workplace that I, I, environment that I don't really like or, or this is How does, does the fact that this is good news and it's true, how does that impact my life tomorrow morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday and and the rest of my life. That's what we need to be contemplating. If you have an information sheet with you on the back side, you'll see all the different aspects of the gospel that we've gone through over the last uh, four previous weeks. I've got two more I want to share with you today. And the first one that we're sharing is this. It's the promise of the gospel. I'm going to pick it straight up in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 50. Uh, if, if you haven't or not been here or whatever, you can go back and read the whole chapter when you get a chance, please do that. But I'm starting right in, cha- in verse 50. If you've been here, then you kind of know the context and some of it may fill in as we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. Let me pray before I read. Lord, uh, in just a moment, as I begin to read this remaining, remaining part of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Would you meet each person where they are? Right now where they are seated. Right now where they are in their life. Right now with their struggles, their issues, maybe their questions, their uncertainty. Maybe their bitterness or their anger. Maybe their jealousy or their temptations or their... Right now, wherever each one of us are, will you meet us, Lord God? And will you take us to where you want us to be? Because where you want us to be is so much better than where we often are in our life. Your word is truth and a mixture of error. So would you take it and do surgery on our hearts and lives today? Lord God, we lay ourselves on the operating table freely. We ask for you as the great physician to do the surgery that you need to do. And may we leave here encouraged, inspired, excited about the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's talk about the promise of the gospel. We're going to read beginning in verse 50. Now, I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's a pretty good place to say amen. It's the promise of the gospel. How many of you have ever maybe seen something on television or purchased something that promised a certain result, promised a a certain something, but the reality didn't quite measure up to the promise. You know what I'm saying? 
I bought golf balls before that promised longer, straighter drives, but I, I, I'm still looking for it. You know what I'm saying? The, the, re, the reality doesn't measure up to the promise. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. How, how about you know, some of that uh, uh, exercise equipment or exercise regimens that, that they get? Just seven minutes a day, and you can have this perfectly lean, sculpted body. Right? Just, I mean... The, somehow the, the, the reality doesn't quite measure up to the promise. Now, m- marketing gurus would, would call that creative advertising. Most of us would just call it a lie. I mean, come on. Did anybody really think this was going to work? Sometimes, probably most times, the reality doesn't measure up to the promise. But I'm here to tell you that this is one time when the reality will, if anything, exceed the promise. And the promise is exceedingly good. But this is one time when the promise is going to be exceeded by the reality. You see, this this body is under the sin curse. And so is yours. This body is under corruption. It's it's decaying. It's dying. We talked about it a little bit last week. This body that you and I live in is, is wearing down and wearing out and wearing away. And, and quite honestly, all the, all the facial beauty cream in Walmart and all the plastic surgeons on Rodeo Drive can't stop it. It's the reality of the sin curse. But here in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul has been describing a day when that sin curse will be lifted. That the sin curse will be no more. He's describing a time and place in the new heavens and the new earth where there is no longer any sin curse. And because there is no longer a sin curse, nothing currently under the sin curse can be there. Therefore, Paul says... Something's got to change. And Paul says it's a needed change. Paul says this is a needed change, folks. Let's read it again in uh, verses uh, 50 and 51 from the Holman Christian Standard. Brothers, I tell you this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You can't can't do it. In, In the way you look, what you're in right now, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God and corruption cannot inherit incorruption. Listen. I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. This is a needed change because this body is is under the sin curse. This body is corruptible. This body is mortal. This body is, is failing. And the promise is that there's a day coming when all of that will change. And Paul says it has to change because this mortal can't can't put on. Immortality. It doesn't work that way. Something has to change in this. It's needed. And he, says, I, he says, I'm telling you a mystery. Not a mystery in the sense of you know, trying to figure out a plot or something like that. But mystery in the sense that this is something hidden from, the, from just the mind of man, but is a supernatural revelation from God. And what is this revelation? What is this mystery? Paul says, Some 
will be asleep, meaning some will have died when this event takes place. Some will still be alive when this event takes place. But all, meaning all those in Christ, will be changed. That's the mystery. It doesn't matter whether you're alive. It doesn't matter whether you're dead. If you are in Christ, when this change takes place, everyone will be changed by this. Will changed uh, will be changed. The, the Greek verb is alasso. It means to alter or to, to transform. The word is used really, it's, it's used predominantly when referring to a major uh, change, a major alteration. In other words, we're not talking about a little, you know, little Botox here or there to remove some crow's feet. We're not talking about maybe a little tummy tuck to tighten things up. No, we're talking about a major transformation, a major change that takes place. And, and it's needed because... If you live in this world very long, if, if, you, if, you, if you experience life at all, you know that, that this mortal body that we are in is ultimately failing. And, it's interesting about this, this needed change, Paul also says that it's a quick change. It's going to be a, a quick change when this takes place. Look at what he says again uh, in verse 52. In a moment, in a moment... In the twinkling of an eye. The Greek word for moment is atomos, from which we get our word atom. He's saying that, it, that, that it's, it's, this, is, this, this change will take place so quickly that it, it's, it's like you can't even see it. it it's, it's, it's almost imperceptible. It's so tiny, it's so minuscule, uh, the, the amount of time that elapses when this, when this change takes place in a moment, in an atomos. And as if that descriptor were not enough to describe how quickly this change will take place he says he goes on to say in a moment in the twinkling of an eye the greek carries the idea that it, it it's it's faster than a than a wink it's even faster than a blink it's uh you know i thought it, it's like it's like the sparkle. It's like the twinkle in a person's eye when the light catches it just right. You know what I mean? Have you ever seen that? You know what I'm saying? Paul says it, it, it's, a, it's a quick change. It will happen so quickly. And the point of all of this is, is this, this change needs to happen. And this change is going to happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. It's going to happen so quickly. And Paul's essentially saying, and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. If you're alive when this, when this event occurs... It's going to happen instantaneously, almost imperceptibly. And if you're dead, death will not be able to hold you. The grave will not be able to hold you. You're going to be changed just like everybody else. I'm telling you, on that, on that day, when that day comes, whenever that day is, when that trumpet sounds, Jesus is going to borrow a line from RoboCop. Dead or alive, you're coming with me. He's probably not going to say it like that. But, but that's what he's saying. He's saying, man, death can't hold you. Grave can't hold you. You're alive, you're changing, all this, it, 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 it's, it's, it's going to be that quick. And speaking of that, that trumpet that, that he made reference to, not only all of that, but it's also a victorious change. Victorious. Y'all hear me say victorious? Yes. Okay, I was trying to, trying to get a little, little a, a, animation in here like y'all believe it's victorious. Come on, let's look at it. It says uh, in verse 52, at the last trumpet... For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we 
will be changed. Throughout uh, the Bible, throughout Israel's history, uh, there, is, uh, there is this recording. There, we, we see it showing up again and again, uh, this, this record of the, the shofarim, the, the, the shofar, the ram's horn that would, that would be blown. And, and throughout the history, uh, the, the trumpet, the horn, was always connected to great victories that God would bring. In Joshua chapter 6, the great victory at Jericho, in Joshua chapter 6, just before uh, the, the victorious shout of the people came the, the blowing, the long blast on the ram's horn, on the shofar, and the walls fell down flat. We even sang about that this morning, didn't we? That great victory over the Midianites in Judges chapter 7, when uh, Gideon and his 300, the, the real 300, Gideon and, and his 300 uh, had victory over this, over this tens of thousands of army of the Midianites when, when they lit their lamps and they blew on their trumpets, the shofar. In the Jewish calendar, uh, the, the, the season, the festival that's known as the, 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 the festival of, of trumpets, Rosh Hashanah in Hebrew, always took place, the festival always began on the first day of the seventh month or the sabbatical month in the Jewish calendar. The, the, the festival was a celebration of, of Sabbath. Most of you may know that the word Sabbath means rest. That it was an acknowledgement, a, a celebration of the, of the rest. It came at the end of the, of the harvest season or, the, or the, the planting season, all that kind of stuff. And, and on, it was always included throughout the land, there would be this blowing on the shofar. The trumpets would, would blow all over Israel, signifying a, a month of rest from all of their labor. And it was, it, was, it, was, it was a type of pointing to a day when someday when there would be an eternal Sabbath, an eternal rest. And they would blow that horn a year after year after year after year. First day of the seventh month on the Sabbath month, they would blow that horn and they would do it this year and next year and next year and next year. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says this is the last trumpet. This is it. This is the last one. And when he blows on that horn, it's going to be a victorious change coming to us. Look at what he says, the passage, he says, for this perishable must put on the imperishable. You know, you know what this is? You know, you know what I call this? I'm going to get y'all to read this with me in a second, I think. You know what this is? Thank you. I'm waiting for somebody to say, well, tell me. This, this is what I call Paul's nana song. You know what I mean? This is Paul's nana song to death and the enemy. You, you know what I'm saying? This is Paul's nana song to death. Why don't you read it with me? For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the victory. This is, this is the victory song. This is our victory song. That's the thing. It, it, it's Paul's nana song, but it's not just Paul's nana song. This is our victory song. This is our nana song over death, over the enemy. 
Come on. Come on. I know, I know we, we can't be, but come on. Na, 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 na. Na, 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 na. Hey, hey, hey. Goodbye. See you, death. Na, 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 na. Come on. Na, 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 na. Hey, hey, hey. Goodbye. Devil, you done. Na, 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 na. Come on. Na, 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 na. Hey, hey, hey. Goodbye. Grave can't hold me. Na, 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 na. Na, 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 na. Hey, hey, hey. Goodbye. Well, that's the na-na song. I think that's what Paul's saying. Oh, death, where's your sting? Death, where's your victory? Paul reminds us earlier up in this chapter, in uh, verse 26, the last enemy that will be abolished is death. And this is it. How many of you are familiar with the old hymn, Faith's Review and Expectation? No one? Faith's Review and Expectation? No one? Actually, you do know it. You just don't know that you know it. Let me, uh, let me give you the, one of the opening stanzas, uh, give you the opening stanza to Faith's Review and Expectation. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. John Newton, the, the author of Faith's Review and Expectation, a man who, who enslaved men and women as a slave ship captain, was himself a slave to his own sin until he was set free by the power of the gospel. Now, I would confess to you, I freely admit that Faith's Review and Expectation is a, a bit of a stiff title for a song. We just know it as Amazing Grace, but you know, it works. It works because, hey folks, this is faith's expectation right here, 1 Corinthians 15. This is faith's expectation. This is what the culmination of the gospel is all about. This, this change that will take place at that moment when all of this is over, all the mess, all the problems, all the stuff that comes into our life, all the issues that we deal with, all the, the temptations that we face, all of the corruption of this world, all of it is gone, all of it is done away with, and this is what we will receive. This is the promise. This is the expectation of our faith. It's the promise of the gospel. And that promise is yours if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And if you do not know Christ as your Savior, if you're sitting there, well, I, I think I do. I'm, well, I'm, maybe I, if you do not, if you're uncertain, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that promise can be yours. I want you to understand that. It can be yours. Whether you're sitting in this room today or watching this on on. on your computer or wherever it might be, or listening to it, driving down the road, this promise can be yours. It's the promise of the gospel. And because of that promise, there's one more, because of that promise comes this last one from 1 Corinthians 15. It's the production for the gospel. Let me read just verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Aren't you glad? Who in here would say at times, my goodness, Pastor, I feel like it's in vain a lot of times. I, I beat my head against the wall. I wonder where I'm getting. I don't get anywhere with trying to live for Jesus or doing I I, I try and build a relationship with my neighbor. Or the, I'm praying for my one. and nothing, I just feel like it's in vain. Be steadfast, 
be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Why? Because it's based on the authority of God's word. God says your work is not in vain. No matter what, don't, don't believe your feelings. Can I just tell you, don't believe your feelings. God says your work for him is not in vain. Paul basically lays out three steps there. First thing he says is, is that you've got to be steadfast. Hedra is the Greek word. It, means, it, it basically means a seat. It, it, is, it is to be uh, seated. It's, it is to be settled. He says first, you, you, you've got to be steadfast. You've got to be settled in this thing. To sit down in your belief in the gospel. Basically is what he's saying. I, I don't know, if you ever go into a restaurant where you seat yourself... Uh, you usually, maybe without even thinking about it, you, you, you're, you're, you're kind of scanning the place and you're picking out a place to sit. Man, I don't, don't want to be too close to the bathrooms and I don't want to be too close to the front door. Is there a booth open? Is there, you know, right? And, and, but, a, but sooner or later, you, you pick one and you sit down. That's what, that's what the picture is here. That you've made your choice, that you've sat down. Paul says, be, be steadfast. Hey, listen, I, I can't be abounding in the work of the gospel if I haven't even settled it in my own life. You understand what he's saying? I've got to be steadfast, make sure that I've settled it, I've sat down in my belief in the gospel. That's where I am. I've committed my life to Jesus Christ. I'm following Jesus. I'm not looking back. I'm settled in this. And then Paul says, not only steadfast, but he says to be immovable. And you might think, well, immovable, steadfast, I mean, isn't that the same thing? Yes and no. Obviously, they're connected, but there's a difference that, that you really need to see, you need to see and understand this. Metakinetos is the word. It comes from kineo. The kineo means to excite, to agitate, or to move around rapidly. That's what kineo means, to, to agitate, to excite, to move around rapidly. It, it has a, uh, a prefix on the front of it, it has a meta, sorry, uh, on the front of it, uh, which means again or with. So it's, a, it's, it's with agitation, with uh, excitement, with moving around quickly. It's, in other words, you can see, you know, it's, it's, it's this kind of stuff. And then, in 1 Corinthians 15, it has one of those alpha privatives on there. We talked about one of those last week. It has an alpha privative on the front of it, which basically means that it means just the opposite of what kineo means. And so it would mean then to be unmovable in regards to outside agitation, excitement, or movement. You understand what he's saying here? You've you got to be settled on the inside. Hey, and, and don't let anything shake you loose that comes at you from the outside. Don't let anything that comes... You know what I'm saying? The stuff that comes at you at life, don't let that shake you loose, move, move you around, agitate you so that you come loose from your, from your conviction. This is what I believe. I'm settled in this inside, but here comes the outside, right? Now, obviously, we can see, man, the Corinthians really needed to heed this from Paul because we know that much of their problems was due to outside influences, right? Cultural influences, uh, false teachers from the outside that were, that were coming in cultural influences they needed to heed paul's warning for sure but guess what so do we so do we living in a culture that is constantly trying to shake us loose agitate us from our convictions and our beliefs paul says you've got to be immovable no matter what comes at you tell the truth how many of you if you, if you honestly thought about it you don't have to raise your hand right now but how many of you have to say boy i can think of times in my life where i've allowed 
cultural influences, family influences, friends influences. I've allowed some things to, to influence my convictions and my beliefs or my actions based on those beliefs because of, of those influences around me. And besides all of those, there's just the daily stuff of life, right? The, the, the headaches and the problems and the bills and the financial strains and the, the, the relational problems and all that stuff that's constantly coming at us, right? Right? When I was growing up on a dairy farm and, and, and ranch, we had a dairy farm and a ranch, we sometimes had to, had to build fence. We had to string fence in some of the pasture land. Sometimes you had to repair fence. And some of repairing fence sometimes required replacing fence posts. Maybe they'd rot it or some sort of problem with it. Do you know how you, you, know how you get a, a post out of the ground? You take it and you just start shaking and working side to side, back and around, forward, agitating it until it comes loose and eventually you can just pull that post right up out of the ground. Paul says that's what you cannot let happen to you. Those outside influence will come and they'll shake you and they'll move you around, they'll agitate you. They'll do all this stuff in your life. And all of you right now can think of all the different things in your life. It might be a person, it might be a situation, it might be a condition, it might be whatever, but you can think of all those things that are constantly shaking at you in your faith. Steadfast, settled, I've sat down and I am immovable. And because I am immovable, then Paul says we can always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, because I'm settled, because I'm, I, I, I know I'm in this. And listen, before I go on, if you're sitting there thinking, well, I, boy, I, I sure know I'm not settled right now, so I guess that, doesn't, that means I should, not, I should not do anything for the Lord. No, it's just the opposite of that. You've got to settle it, and then you've got to always be abounding. Look at the, the word breakdown here, uh, parasantes. It, it literally means increasing. I'm increasing in the work of the Lord. Not a person in here that I know of, if if you're the exception, you can come up to me afterwards and say, you're wrong. But I don't believe there's a person in here that has not at some times who's serving the Lord in some way, some capacity, trying to live for Jesus, that has not sometime at some place just felt like throwing in a towel. Quit. Give up. Stop. It's enough. I got a lot going on in my life. There's a lot happening. A lot of people don't understand what what my life is like or what's going on in my life. I, I, I I I just can't. I just can't do it anymore. Paul says, no, 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 no. No, you've got to be not only not stopping, you've got to be increasing in your work of the Lord. Why? Because it's the gospel. And the gospel is worth it. I was in high school, driver's ed class. Our instructor, Coach McCool, that's his name. Coach McCool asked a question one day in class. He says, who in here can tell me the proper method for driving through a curve? And, you know, some teacher's pet raised their hand. <laughs> probably, probably Cindy. She always got everything right. Some, some teacher's pet raised her hand and said, well, you decelerate as you come into the curve, braking as necessary, and then accelerate as you come out of the curve. Clearly... That was the answer that Coach McCool was looking for. But before he had an opportunity to affirm their answer, I spoke up and said, no, you floored into the curve and you fishtail out of the curve. <laughs> Coach McCool was not cool. 
with my answer. He, he, he was not amused. But Paul's saying, that's exactly what you do with the gospel. You floor it into the curve and you fishtail out. You put your foot on the accelerator and you don't let up until you cross the finish line. And as far as I know, looking around here, there's not anybody in here that's crossed the finish line yet. Y'all can check your pulse yourself if you want to. But I'm pretty sure there's nobody in here that's crossed the finish line yet. So if you have not, he says you're always abounding in the work. You're never letting up. The hammer is down and you're working at it as hard as you can. You know what? I know we get tired, right? Not a person here doesn't get tired of some of this stuff sometimes. Can I just remind you a few passages of Scripture? The prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, he gives strength to the weary. Who in here could use a little strength in their life today? He gives strength to the weary. Now that, by the way, that means that you have to go to him. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength, and they will mount up with wings like eagles, and they will run and not get tired, and they will walk and not become weary. Galatians chapter 6, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 3. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Revelation, right? Getting towards the, towards the end of the book. And you have... This is Jesus himself speaking to the church. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. It's for the gospel. That's why it's worth it. That's why it's worth it. It's for the gospel. Paul says, therefore, in other words, as a result of all this stuff that I've said previously in the, in the chapter, but... but, but Directly in context, as a result of this promise of the gospel, as a result of the fact that this worn out, worn down, wearing away body is going to be laid down someday and you, you're going to pick up a brand spank and new one because of that, do not grow weary in your labor. For that labor is not in vain. I tell you, that's good stuff, folks. That's good stuff. Because we know what it is to grow tired. We know what it is to be weary. But those that wait on the Lord those that seek His face, those who are steadfast, immovable, can then be abounding, increasing in their work for the Lord. Listen, within the context of the church, sure, we need, we, we need all hands on deck. We need people find places of ministry and say, you know, I'm not serving anywhere somewhere. How, where can I be used? Sure, we need that. But, but this is only a, this is only a, a tiny percentage of your, of your week, right? How do we work for the Lord when we go out of these doors? How do we live for Him, serve Him? How do we give for Him? How do we, what are the things that we do for the glory of God and for the building of His kingdom? That's what we must not grow weary in doing. For if we do not, we will reap a harvest. That's what His Word promises. That's the promise. And you and I have been given charge of the production with His Spirit leading us to take the gospel everywhere we can, as long as we can, to floor it into the curve and to fishtail out until we cross the finish line. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you uh, today for the truth of your word.
and for the reality of uh, the power of your word to change lives. Your word changed my life in your timing, and I've seen your word change thousands of other lives. Lord God, all over this world are people living in darkness. All over this world are people who have no hope. All over this world are people who do not have a promise of, of taking up a new body, incorruptible, immortal. But for those in Christ Jesus, we have that promise. God, right now, in Jesus' name, I pray for any person watching, sitting in here, listening to this message, that if they are uncertain about whether the gospel is theirs or not, that even right now in this moment, they would say, Lord God, I need you as my Savior. I don't know all the ins and outs about everything, but I know that I need you. I need the gospel. God, save me. Save my soul. Come into my life right now and save me. God, I would pray that your word would have its impact on, on some person who even now is making a decision for Jesus Christ. But God, for those of us who know Christ as our Savior, may we take comfort in the midst of, of this body that is subject to sickness and disease and, and fatigue and all the stuff that this body is subject to, in the midst of all the the trials, the temptations, the heartaches, the uncertainties, the fears, all the stuff that comes at us all the time. God, may those of us that have trusted Christ our Savior take comfort in the fact that all of this one day will be left behind and we will take up something brand new, something far better, something transformative in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, it will take place. And it won't matter if I'm in the grave or if I'm still here on this earth walking around. Your change will come because your son went to the cross and died. He conquered my death. And so Paul's holy taunt is my holy taunt. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Thank you that the grave has been conquered and will be conquered by every single person in relationship with Jesus Christ. May we live our lives in the reality of the overwhelming joy that should come from that truth. This is not the end. And God, may as a result of that, we keep our foot on the pedal. It's easy to get tired. It's easy to get worn down. God, remind us, to stay faithful to what you've called us to do, Lord God, to take the gospel to every person that we can, while we can, for as long as we can, until we kick the can. God, it's, it's your truth, it's your word. May it have its impact on each person in your timing. In Jesus' name, amen. November 28, 1980. Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran met in the Superdome in New Orleans, Louisiana for the welterweight championship of the world. It was one of the most anticipated fights in years. The fight was fairly close, but throughout the fight, Sugar Ray Leonard used his, his agility, his quickness, his speed to dance around Roberto Duran, who was more of a get-in-your-face, pound-him kind of fighter. And Sugar Ray Leonard would, would dance and move and slip side to side and jab and uppercut and punch and make much of Roberto Duran's punches miss because of his speed. He, he began to taunt him even as the fight went on. 
lowering his gloves and sticking his chin out, giving him the bolo punch, that sort of stuff. Throughout the, the, the eighth round, this went on. And almost towards the end of the eighth round, just a few seconds left in the eighth round, Roberto Duran suddenly uh, clearly agitated, aggravated, probably a little exhausted. Roberto Duran unexplicably turned to the referee and uttered two words that have become legend in the boxing world. No mas. No more. He quit. He quit. The devil wants you to quit. He wants you to say, no mas. I can't do it anymore. I'm just, I know I'm going to heaven, so I'm just going to settle in here. and I'm just going to, no mas. I can't do it. Jesus is saying, come to me when you're weary. Come to me when you're tired. Come to me when you're feeling empty. And I've got the power that you need to finish this race, to finish it well. Wow, what a promise. And as we heard today, the promise of a new body for all of eternity should motivate us to be productive for the gospel. There's a whole world out there that needs to know of God's love and grace. Those of us who have experienced God's grace for ourselves have to do all we can, while we can, to share the gospel with the world, beginning with those around us. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere to celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross-culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about a relationship, a community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person, real people who truly care, solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens, and the most energetic, fun, and safe kids program around. Find out more at crossculture.church. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.